Get up. Come on. Up you get. Why aren't you getting up? Come on, get up. Up you get. There's nothing. I can feel nothing, just this fizzing. Pins and needles in my fingers. Get up. I can't. I can see people in the street. I try and shout. can't. Help. What a stupid way to die. What a stupid way to die. So, yeah, um, my name is Tristan Sturrock. I'm an actor. And in 2004, I broke my neck. It happened in Padstow, which is a small fishing village on the north coast of Cornwall. And it's a place I've known all my life. It's very special here because they celebrate May Day. And my accident happened on the 1st of May, 2004, on May Day. We just moved into our first house together in Padstow, me and my girlfriend, Katie. And I had this beautiful view down to the harbour. You could see out, down through the streets of Padstow and out to sea. Everyone in the town was buzzing, because it's the eve of May. People were coming from all over Cornwall to be part of this great big pagan festival. It's been celebrated here for, for centuries. May Day marks the death of winter and the birth of summer. The drumming had started, the streets were full of people. The whole town was decorated with bunting, flags. All the first flowers of spring. Primroses and cowslips. Bluebells, forget-me-nots. And at the very heart of the day is the hobby horse. But in Padstow, it's known as the obios. He dances and he processes through the streets to the May song. And then at certain points in the dance, the os dies and then is resurrected again. Katie was five months pregnant at the time and we were about to go down to the Golden Lion Inn. And she said, look, it's fine, you go down without me, but just bring me back some chips. And he said, all right, I'll be back you know, within an hour or so. Yeah, I've got my phone, and no, I'm not going to get too drunk. I said, don't get too drunk, please don't get too drunk. I remember him giving me a kiss goodbye and kissing my tummy and saying, happy May Day. I went off into the night down the zigzaggy steps at the back of our house that lead all the way down to the Golden Line Inn. I used to count them, and there's 37 of them, which was how old I was at the time. At the harbour, all the fishing boats were in, and they're all just bobbing away, and the lights were on, and it was just... It was magical, the whole place was full of expectancy and I was standing outside the pub looking at this thinking, I'm going to be a dad, I'm going to be a dad. 
and I burst through the doors of the Golden Lion Inn with that feeling in my head. And that's how the evening started. It's the dying minutes of April, nearly 12 o'clock midnight, and we're all gathered in the Golden Lion Inn to sing the night song. And we've been drinking, drinking, and this is the beginning. This music won't stop now for the next 24 hours. And I'm happily drunk. I'm spinning like the obvious and I'm on top of the world when suddenly I remember chips. Totally forgotten the chips. So, ran out the pub, across the cobbled streets, past the chippy, and up the zigzaggy steps, thinking, what am I going to tell Katie? I don't have the chips, don't have the chips. I remember rolling over and looking at the clock, and um, I thought, no, I'm going to give him a ring, just to see, just to see where he is. Hello? Hi, love, it's me. Hi, love. Where are you? I'm on, I'm on my way back. I'm on my way back now. I'm Johnny, it's really late. Yeah, I, know, I know, I know, I know, but the chips were, they weren't, uh, they chucked. So, look, yeah. I'm, I'm nearly home. I'm nearly home. I'm nearly home. Sorry, love. Okay. We said a couple of things to each yeah, other. It's really, really late, love. I know it's late. I know. I remember feeling quite angry that the chips hadn't arrived. I know. I know. I'm sorry. Okay. But I do remember saying... I love you. I love you. I just remember saying that. I just remember saying... I love you. As I was talking to her, I remember looking down and seeing this, this little low wall next to the steps. And so I sat down on it. And behind me, I could see an ivy-covered hedge. So I leant back. But of course, in the darkness, what I couldn't tell was the ivy-covered wall was actually set back about five feet. So I just kept going. And I fell back 10 feet, head first, until I hit concrete. Tris? Tris? And then... Tris? And then the phone went dead. Tris, love? Can you hear me? Get up. I can't. Can't get up. There's nothing I can do. Nothing. Can't be seen. Can't be heard. <laughs> this is funny. <laughs> this is stupid. Drunk, wedged between a garage and a wall. And I feel like my body is buried to the neck in sand. And the tide is coming in. I turned over and I tried to go back to sleep, but I couldn't. And then I had this a feeling that I've never had before or since, a really powerful sixth sense that I just had to get up. And I put on a coat over my pyjamas and just walked out into the night. 
there was a, a party in the neighbouring cottage. There were some people standing outside smoking and I just went up to this crowd and I said, something's wrong, I think something's happened to my husband. Can somebody please help me? And um, I remember a very tall man saying, yes, I'll, I'll help. She wasn't making a lot of sense. Um, she was obviously very distressed. I was definitely gabbling over and over again. Something's wrong, something's wrong, something something's wrong. wrong. Right. Let's just calm down, calm down. And then it suddenly became apparent that this woman was um, quite pregnant. OK, just let's walk slowly, let's go down here. And we're, we're finding okay. we're finding Let's go past the London Inn. OK, I'm so sorry, I'm okay, so sorry for It's closed, so let's go a bit further down. It was apparent that the, the pubs we were Tristan? going past were closed. Tris! Tristan! I think he said there was a growing realisation that something was wrong but we didn't know what. I think that's closed as well. Okay. Should we go down by the Golden Line? Is he... Or the London Inn. He might be at no, the London, London Inn. No, London Inn's shut. He was on his way home. There's something's wrong. Something's okay, well, we'll find him. Wrong. We'll find him. Just, just, just calm down. Calm down. We, we, we can sort this. Just think about yourself as well. Trisk, Trisk, can Tristan? you hear me? Oh, God, what's that? I heard what sounded like a, okay, a wounded animal cry out. And I saw a trainer sticking out of the shadows okay, with a reflective stripe on it. And I'll come back to you, OK? I promise I'll come back. Just stay here. I looked over the top of the wall, down into the darkness, and I, I saw him lying there. He was there, this grey mass of humanity. Oh wait here, wait here. Stuck between this wall and the garage. Well, just wait here, let me go. Andy? That's Katie's voice. Tris! Tris! I can hear Katie. Tristan, Tristan. OK, mate, now listen to me, I'm a medic. Um, I'm going to try and uh, clear your airway. I used to be an army uh, medic. I'm going to put my fingers into your mouth and just clear your airway here. And have been trained to deal with casualties. That's good. Now, now Tristan, you try and stay awake. I never expected to have to go back check. and revisit that skill uh, mix um, so many years later. I need to check around your legs, mate. Um, I, I need to find... What you don't want to do uh, is be too integrated with them. Because if they die, part of you dies with them. That's super. Okay. And and your fingers here. Can you move your fingers? I'm going to be a dad. And you can feel my hands. I'm going to be a dad. Um, just like, it's very important that you stay awake. Okay. Got to stay awake. Got to stay awake. If you're going to be a dad, stay and awake. We're just going to ch just check around. Katie's here. Um, uh, she's fine. Katie's going to be furious. And um, Katie's going to be so angry. No chips. Okay. Can you feel that? She's going to be mad. You can't feel that. I can't. Well, it's fine. It's, it's, it, feel. It, it's because of the position you're in. Um, Tristan was... Uh, he broke his neck. Just stay very still. And he moved even a fraction. Then the chances are he would have died there and then. You stay still. I'm going to go back to Katie. And then... Um, Katie, for the best thing, reason, she wanted to get in there. She wanted to hug him. She wanted to comfort him. Katie, stay there. And Andy kept telling me to get back, stand back. No, no, stay okay. here. Stay he was here. so broken. Okay, I just wanted to put his body back together and again. I'll come back to you, OK? I promise I'll come back. Just stay here. Of course, if I'd moved him, or if Andy hadn't been there, I could have killed him. I remember somebody calling for an ambulance, and I remember waiting then for what seemed like Hours. I distinctly remember uh, at one point getting on the phone to the ambulance on the 999 call saying, you know, where is this ambulance? This guy's dying. You need to get him here. But I had to walk away from Katie because I couldn't let Katie hear me say that. 
and they kept saying, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's on its way. Oh, thank God. When the guys turned up, they were absolutely spot on. It's down over here, this way. I remember vividly the paramedic. In my head, he's this northern man, and I don't think he was, it was just how I remember it, and he... He was fantastic, he was brilliant, just peppering me with questions like, oh dear, mate, right, you know, right, pick a line. He said, all right, sunshine, a few questions here. What's your name? What's the day? What's the time? Who's the prime minister? Hey, what's your favorite pudding? Come on, you must have a favorite pudding. I've got, I've got plenty, I have. Can you feel this? No, all right, okay, how about this? Can you feel that? What about that? <laughs> you wouldn't like that, would you? <laughs> yeah. And he just kept going. And, and I remember smiling and thinking, he's amazing, he's amazing. Right then, sunshine, we're just gonna give you some analgesics now. It's marvelous stuff, this is. I'm going to give you 80 milligrams of codeine, 30 milligrams of hydrocodeine. That's marvellous stuff, that is. I'll have you dancing around like a disco queen. And, and, and I was. That was the last thing I remember, and with that I was out. I was off in the ambulance, dancing around in my head like a disco queen. When I wake, I'm speeding down the corridors of Derriford Hospital on my back in a cervical block collar and I'm looking straight up ahead at ceiling tiles, ceiling tiles, ceiling tiles, strip light. Hi there, Mr. Sir, I've got the walk off on the MRI. Just take a strip quick light. little test. Ceiling tile. Can you feel this? Ceiling tile. Strip light. this? Ceiling tile. Ceiling okay. tile. Ceiling uh, tile. Can you feel Double doors. this? Ceiling tile. Lift. Doors closing. Ceiling tile. Ceiling Hi there, tile. Mr. Sturrock. My name's Laura. Ceiling tile. Just going to do a little Double doors. Ceiling tile. Ceiling tile. Ceiling tile. And just clench your fist for me. Strip Okay, great. Ceiling tile. Ceiling tile. Ceiling tile. Missing. Ceiling tile. Ceiling tile. Ceiling tile. Strip light. Ceiling tile. Ceiling tile. I'm going to leave you on your own now. We're just around the corner if you need anything. All right. So there I was, alone, looking at my ceiling tile. Get up. Come on, get up. Get up. In the H-D-U. I can't. The high dependency unit. I cannot do anything. On Moorgate Ward, in Derford Hospital. Can't move. Plymouth. I can see people at the bottom of the street. I can see people at the bottom of the street. It's Mayday. It's Katie. And I think the nurse came and gave me something. It's Katie calling. And I must have drifted off. Stay awake. Got to stay awake. Katie calling. It's Mayday. I remember not sleeping at all that night and sitting there 
with my back against the wall holding a photograph of Tris and waiting for the hospital to ring and eventually someone phoned me to tell me that he was alive but he had broken his neck. I just remember the sunlight coming up through a small crack in the shutters and at dawn hearing the children's obvious cascading down the hill. And this drumming just went on and on and on and the laughing and the singing, it, it was as if they were trying to torment me with their celebrations. I wanted to open the window and scream at them all just to stop, but I didn't. I kept the shutters closed and I think eventually I fell asleep. When I came to, there was this unbelievable smell of cabbage. My senses had changed. Everything was at maximum. And they placed my first meal in hospital, which was a Cornish pasty. And I was lying in bed, totally paralyzed, with my hands twisted towards my face. But I think I, I just smiled and thought that was brilliant. And they're incredible, these nurses. They'd, they'd rigged a mirror so I wasn't just staring at the ceiling tile, but it was kind of improvised on, on what were like mic stands and the mirror had slipped and I had this great view of the chair leg and the fluff under the bed. <laughs> and I, I think I drifted off. I must have drifted off, because when I came to, there'd been visiting time and Katie'd been, and she'd pinned on my ceiling tile the first scan of our baby. Even before I went to see Tris in the high dependency unit, uh, the doctors wanted to give me an emergency scan because of what my body had been through, the shock. And uh, that was such a relief for me, knowing at that point that I hadn't lost everything. Tris was lying in his bed and couldn't move an inch, not half an inch. He was fixed, staring straight up at this ceiling tile. So I took the scan and then I stuck it on the ceiling tile above his head so that he had something to look at. And I remember thinking that is the most beautiful, perfect, tiny spine. Days when the patients are perhaps having a bit of a down day, you've got to use things like things that are happening in the future, such as a new baby coming along, as something to look forward to, as something to work towards. That's when, you know, a lot of the nurses really come into their own. They have a life-changing event, thinking, oh, I might not ever walk again. It's, it must be horrific. I can't imagine what that's like. And I've, I've worked here a good few years now, but I think positive mental attitude is definitely helps. Thing. Definitely. And I can remember him being determined that he just wanted to get home. And be a dad. Yeah. The nurses, Joe and Ruth, and their team on Moorgate Ward, they were all brilliant. They would come to my bed every two to three hours, day and night, to do their routines. Hi, Kristen. It's Ruth and the team. We're Patients who've had spinal injury can go into spinal shock, so it's very important to do blood pressure and pulse. Okay, so in the initial period of his admission, he would have had hourly observations. 
Um, so you didn't get any rest, basically. We've come to roll you over onto your side and check everything's okay. Is that all right? Yeah. And then it's also really important that we reposition them to prevent them from getting pressure ulcers. My hands and the back of your shoulders and support your head. A lot of our spinal patients, they hate being mulled. It's just something completely alien, as it would be to any of us. Say, ready, steady, roll, and we go on roll, please. Ready, steady, roll. It can be a bit of a living nightmare for them because they might have just gone off to sleep for a few minutes and then it all starts again and they've been moved and they're not very comfortable. And that cycle goes on day and night. All done. Thank you. Hello, Mr Stark. My name's Tim, Tim German. I'm a spine surgeon. I'll never forget Tim German because he was the consultant neurosurgeon and he walked in and all I saw was this incredible tie. Could you just tell me what's been told to you already? What have you understood to be the case? And that's all I could see, white coat but this tie. And could you explain to me what you remember as happening to you? He talks with a calm authority, but also there's a twinkle in Tim German's eye. I kind of knew he had a sense of humour. And I think a lot of doctors do, a lot of surgeons do, but it was palpable with Tim. Tristan had... He started to explain that I had... What we call a teardrop fracture. It's called um, a teardrop uh, fracture. Flexion teardrop fracture. Affecting the fifth cervical vertebra. He'd broken his C5 vertebra in three places. When he had hit his head, the bone which broke moved backwards into his spinal cord. They knew that the spinal cord hadn't been lacerated, but it was badly damaged. And that meant that he was paralysed. The fracture will heal in time, but you have to keep the two parts of the fracture still. I remember Tim, who was very matter-of-fact, describing these two options. I had two options. It was either the, a halo, halo brace... brace, which is the traditional method. Sort of medieval contraption, a cage that was drilled into the skull in about six points. It's perceived as safer, and it probably is, but... I'd have to wear it for a long period of time. Twelve months, 18 months. It's very hard to sleep, it's very hard to do anything. Hoping that the spine would heal naturally, but there was still a chance that he could snake out and he'd be back to square one. Or uh, a complicated... Operation. Internal fixation, which means putting screws and rods into the bones on either side of the fracture, which hold the bones in place whilst it heals. Which involved cutting him open and operating within millimetres of his spinal cord. If something had happened and I'd have displaced the fracture, the recovery which was beginning to happen would have been reversed or halted. And he explained all the dangers of that, that one slip of the knife meant tetraplegia, asphyxia, possibly death. Um, I remember at the time it all looked... The two options were very bleak. They felt very bleak indeed. And ultimately I knew that the, the decision had to be Triss's. For me at that point, I was suffering such extreme claustrophobia and the thought of being in a kind of medieval cage, I thought, I can't, I need something that's... You know, I need, I need to be put back together with metal so that I can try and work on my body. All the odds have been described to me by Tim, but the, the odds and those figures didn't mean anything in terms of where I was at that moment. 
what I needed was that operation. That was the only thing that was that gave me any kind of glimmer of a sense of recovery. And I wasn't thinking about Katie or the family and what the odds would mean to them. I had no idea of the, the worry. So it was a very single-minded thing. I think his parents were there, Katie was there, and um, the degree of anxiety was understandably extremely high, sort of, you could feel it. <laughs> I remember asking him, what would you do in my position? What would you choose? I remember him asking the question. Quite lightly, not in a big, deep, heavy kind of thought, look, you do this all the time, what would you do? And I was trying to work out, how do I phrase this appropriately? Because I can't tell him that surgery is without risk, but I'd done extra training in reconstructive spinal surgery, and I was confident, and I think I said something like, um, I'll probably have an operation if the right person was doing it. He looked at me and he said, if it was me operating, I would have the operation. Because <laughs> I was trying to introduce a little bit of humour, possibly. But as he was leaving, <laughs> as he was leaving, he turned around and said, but we all have our off days, and smiled. And I thought that was just brilliant. And I thought, yes, he's definitely operating on me. My day had compressed to two to three hours. So when I did drift in and out of sleep, my dreams were really vividly normal. And I'd almost have a complete day in this dream where I'd come home and I'd go to bed and I'd be asleep and I'd be having this really horrible, horrible nightmare where I felt that I was restricted and, and I'd open my eyes and it'd be dark and I'd be beeping and I'd be in this alien place and ever so slowly I would realise that this was reality, that this was happening now and then these surges, these waves of panic would just start to roll in on me and it was indescribably frightening, to a point where I, I'd feel I'd almost black out, but I'd be back into a dream and then I'd be at Tesco's looking at yoghurt. And then it would go back into the cycle again and again and again. Time of the day, we've come to roll you over onto your side and check everything's OK. Is that all right? Yeah, all right. Get up. Come on, get up. Get up. Time of the day, we've come to roll you Get up. Your side and check everything's okay. Is that all right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just going to put my hands on your shoulders. Visiting time. Can't move. Visiting time on Walgate Ward. Visiting time was so important to take away all that fear. And I always remember Mum feeding me pureed raspberries because when I was about 10 years old, I had a bad bicycle accident and my face got quite mashed up. And so she had to puree things and, and she used to feed me then. And here she was now with her 37-year-old son. And my twin sister, she'd sit, sit there and, and she'd laugh about it with me because she kind of, you know, she's my twin. <laughs> and uh, Katie, she came every single day. Thinking of you and wishing you a speedy Every recovery. Single day. Love you, love you, love you, love you, love you. I remember bringing in and this one. I think. All the get well soon cards. Ollie, 
Get well soon, mate. Don't mess about with the nurses. <laughs> yeah, that's from Ollie. I'd read them out to him. <laughs> and this one, this one's from Auntie Janet. Cheer up, you might get hit by a bus tomorrow. <laughs> Not very fun, Auntie Janet. 15 minutes left of visiting time on Wargate Ward. Thank you. After visiting time, I would often have long chats with the registrar, and I particularly remember this one time. He said to me, are you sure you're going to be strong enough because you might be pushing a baby in a pram and Tristan in a wheelchair at the same time. I'll never forget that image. But he'd made up his mind to, to have the operation, so we, we trusted the decision that he'd made. We had to. Tim German to the operating theatre. Dr. Tim German to the operating theatre. Thank you. I've made up my mind. I was going to a place I'd spent most of my life. I was going to the theatre. This is your Act One beginners course. Oh, I must prepare. I must prepare my character immediately. For I am to play the patient. Yes, the patient. And put me in that green gown thing that does up at the back. Oh, yes, I see myself emerging already. Look at that. The patient is breaking forth from here, my humble actress frame. Take me away, and as I go, I shall practice my vocal limba. Diathermy. It starts with the anaesthetic. You have to put the tube into the trachea. Thank you. And then once the tube is in, you have to turn the patient to do an operation from the back, and you have to keep his neck absolutely straight whilst doing that. We actually do it by putting a clamp with some steel pins into his skull and then locking that to the operating table. Okay, right now, um, X-ray, please. And then you use an X-ray machine to identify where the injury actually is. You make an incision and you strip the muscles at the back of the neck off the bone. Okay, so that's the pilot hole. And then you can see the bony landmarks. And you know where it should be safe to put screws. 18 millimeter screw, please. But obviously you can't see through the bone. All you know is that on the other side of the bone, there are very important structures, like the spinal cord, spinal nerves, and the vertebral artery, which supplies blood to the brain and if you hit any of those things it could be a catastrophe. 18mm screw. You've got to put four screws in blocks of bone which are probably one centimetre cube possibly bigger and you Thank have you. to put them in at the right angle okay. so that you don't hit any of those crucial structures. You're always aware that you're a human being and you have, you're not infallible. And if you're ever responsible for making a patient's life worse, it's a total disaster. Screw. Another 18? And you're always aware that if that happens, they're the ones who are living with it. 
It might keep you awake at night, but it's the patient who's living with the consequences. And I think that's always on your mind when you when you operate. Okay, let's close up. Name of the procedure has been recorded as posterior reduction and instrumented fusion for a C5 broken body fracture. Sorb instrument sharps correct? Yes, they are. Specimens labelled? They were Antibiotics? Doesn't need any more. Analgesia? Yeah, it's written up. Fluid management, including blood. When I came to, I had this hand on my face and I realised of course it was my own and everything around my neck, cervical block collar, had all gone. I felt lighter and I was kind of hazy and really happy. He was high on morphine, doesn't have any memory of our conversation, but he was there and he was smiling and he looked bright and I remember thinking, this is, this is our chance. My hands suddenly spasmed, twitched on their own accord and they were firing themselves back into position. And very quickly, I think it was the next day, the nurses came to sit me up in bed for the first time since I'd been in hospital. Yeah, there we go. Yes. You're doing it. That's absolutely oh, The pressure right. change was immense. Just the weirdest, weirdest, weirdest sensation. It was like balancing 13 tables on top of each other. It was, it was the strangest sensation to suddenly be aware of how heavy your head is on this tiny, brand-new, fragile little structure. That's probably it now. That's probably it. And I could only take it for a certain amount of time, and then the nurses would help me back down onto the bed. That's just the weirdest, most amazing thing. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. The weeks had gone on with lots of mini hurdles achieved, lots of fine motor skill work, and, and I remember the day when the nurses came to get me to stand on my own two feet. Are you ready to have a go? Yeah, 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 yeah no, right. definitely, definitely. What we're going to do is, when you're yeah. ready, Siobhan's going to swing your legs round. Right. Okay. Just the feeling of my bare feet as they kind of flopped onto the ward floor was strange, because I had very little sensation in my feet. Lady on the drum, yeah. You ready? Yeah. Okay, you're waiting. One, two, three, up we go. Oh, sorry, no, can I go back down? Sorry, sorry. We went up on three. Three. And yeah. Balancing on the Zimmer frame with the two nurses either side of me. And I was up. That's brilliant. Yeah, you know, I'm up, I'm up, I'm up. I was standing. Looking at the nurses, smiling. Aren't I brilliant? So I'm off. All right. Yeah. And I took my first step. On the left, yeah? My first elegant step as I kind of dragged the toes curling underneath. It's the weirdest thing. And then again on the right. Walking. That's it. I'm just going to go for a little run. And so on and so on. And I realised then, here I am, I'm walking. Three steps. Can't shut I am waltzing. I am dancing across Moorgate Ward with two physio nurses a Zimmer frame, a saline drip, and a catheter bag.
remember there's this full-length mirror on the ward. And I didn't realize who, who I was looking at. I, I was confused for a minute. The face was kind of the same, but my body was completely different. I thought, who's this funny old man? He was very, very thin. And obviously, as each day went by, my body was getting bigger and fuller with the baby, and his body was smaller, and he hadn't shaved, and he had this long hair, and he looked like a... I thought he looked like a wasted romantic poet. <laughs> um, I didn't recognise him, apart from a look of determination in his eyes, which was... His eyes never, never lost that. He never lost that look of absolute positive determination. Over the coming weeks, it was a case of building muscle back into this wasted frame. Every day I would be lifting just my hand, just getting to lift my hand and my arm and bending at the elbow. And then I'd gradually progress onto pesto jars, which felt like huge dumbbells. And I could get my head round building muscle back, but for me, ever since I fell, ever since I broke my neck, it was that tingling, pins and needles, fire and ice, constantly there, and always from that moment, I dreamt about being in water. Somehow for me, being in water, warm water, that would help dissolve all of that away, and I really remember my first bath. It was the most intense, extreme explosion of feelings. And they weren't the feelings that you would normally have putting your feet into a bath. They were completely different. It was like your brain was totally jumbling up the senses. And it felt like things were fizzing from the toe right the way up my leg, through my torso, into my head, trying to make sense of it. And, and it wasn't unpleasant, it wasn't painful, it was just so different. I'd saved my hands, which were extremely tingly, pins and needles, fire and ice, and I placed them in almost last into the water, hoping that they'd just dissolve and come back to normal, and they didn't. They stayed the same, because they're like that now. That's what I've got right now. And they'll always be like that. And I gradually leant further back into the bath, further and further back, all the way back to the neat zip scar on the back of my neck. Soon it was my last day in hospital. My rehabilitation would carry on for the next 18 months. He'd be building up muscle. Gaining weight, that was a big thing. His mum and dad helping him walk around the garden. Bobbing like a crisp packet in swimming balls with Katie laughing at me. Going off for a marathon shuffle around the village, which took him hours. But he did it, and each day there was progress and there was more hope until finally I would have the strength to hold my newborn baby in my arms. And in time, 
be able to walk with him, just as he was learning to take his first steps. But that was all still to come. I'd said my goodbyes to the doctors and the nurses, and I was just waiting for my sister and Katie to come and pick me up. And this woman came in to the ward, distraught. She was um, very upset. Yeah, I remember him. He, he, because he had this big bouquet of flowers in his room, and he, he brought them into Kelvin, and um, I just remember that. She explained to me that her husband had had the same break as me, um, but he'd just been fitted in a halo brace, and would I come and talk to him? And I said, of course, of course I would. Um, it was quite emotional, really. Um, I think every day coming up here is quite emotional <laughs> when you see what pain and everything that your partner's going through. I remember it was very dark. It was kind of chapel-like. The, sh the shutters were down, and this man was laid out in a bed, fitted in a halo brace. Yeah, I, I, do, I do remember the, the, the moment, and, uh, and it's funny, I tell the story to so many people. It, it does, it, it has stayed with me for, for, for the last 10 years of my life as well. I remember looking at him into his eyes and thinking, that's where I've just been. Yeah, it's quite unique, I suppose, going through the same thing. And I just held his hand. I just stood there holding his hand. And I thought, how? fragile we all are. Now things can just change like that. And I realised it wasn't about me. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about me making some brave recovery in my head alone. It was about everybody else. It was about all the family and friends who were there for me. It was about all the people who do this every single day of their lives, who from the 1st of May to my first step bolted and stitched me back together. Mayday Mayday is a true story, adapted for radio by Becky Ripley. It was based on the stage play created by Tristan Sturrock and Katie Carmichael, with the voices of Tristan Sturrock, Katie Carmichael, Andrew Carnegie, Joe Weasley, Ruth R. Scott, Tim German, Katrina Edwards, Kelvin Edwards, Zine Grunty and Hector Carmichael Sturrock. The music was composed by Aaron May and it was directed in Bristol by Becky Ripley. <laughs>